0: Romans chapter 8. The reason I've told you to turn to Romans chapter 8 is because this is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. I'll put it on the screen here for you if you don't have a Bible. But Romans 8 verse 1 comes after a long series of uh, question and answer time, if you will. Uh, The first several chapters of the book of Romans shows that the whole world is guilty, stands guilty before God, and because of that, deserves eternal condemnation. And then starting um, in uh, Romans chapter 4 and and 5, uh, the Bible is showing us that justification can come by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then uh, uh, Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 is showing us the process of sanctification where we are continually to be set apart from sin unto God. And then starting in Romans chapter 8, it starts with the word, therefore. And whenever you see a therefore, you should ask, what is it there for? Well, that's Romans chapter 1 through 7. Romans 8, verse 1 says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, underline the little word, in, therefore. That's a very important word. Very important word. It's a little word. Very little word, but it's very, very important. And so today I want to kind of give us an introduction, a a challenge, I guess, coming, looking at that little word, in, and and words that are similar to that word, in. What does that mean, to be in Christ Jesus? Uh, Another way we could ask the question is, what does it not only mean to be in Christ, but what does it mean to be united with Christ, Because that's what Romans 8-1 is talking about, being united with Christ. There's a a special union with Christ that every believer has. Well, we've got to start off by asking the question, why is this concept important? Why why focus on little words like in to to begin with? And the reason we're going to do this is because every aspect of God's relationship to Christians and believers is in some way connected to our relationship with Christ. It is possible to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It comes by faith in Him. From God's counsels in eternity past, to our fellowship with God in eternity future, and also including uh, uh, every aspect of our relationship with God in this life, All has occurred in union with Christ. We're going to talk about these three aspects that I've just mentioned today. Uh, Whether it's it's past, future, or the present. We're going to talk about that today. But we've got to start off by defining what it means to be united with Christ. What is union with Christ? Again, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing a definition from Dr. Wayne Grudem. I really appreciate him so much. God has used him uh, tremendously in my life, and uh, I give him great credit for the message today and this wonderful definition that has been helpful to think about this glorious truth of being in Christ or united with Christ. Well, here anyway, here's Dr. Grudem's uh, definition. He says, quote, Union with Christ is a phrase used to summarize several different relationships between believers and Christ through which Christians receive every benefit of salvation. These relationships include the fact that, number one, believers are in Christ. Number two, Christ is in believers. And three, believers are like Christ. Number four, believers are with Christ. End quote. I'm going to take those four points he brings out in that definition, and I'm going to run with that ball in and uh, kind of uh, elaborate and expand upon that, uh, and, and just kind of, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, so, so put your seatbelts on, all right? We're going for a ride here, okay? So let's, let's take those uh, four, or four relationships there that, that he brings out in that definition and talk about that today. So as you can see here, this definition indicates there's four different aspects of our union with Jesus Christ, and they can be spec, uh, specified from the biblical material all coming from the, the Bible as a whole, okay? Uh, I, I did a little quick search in uh, one of my uh, lexicons uh, this this past week, and I noticed that uh, the phrase in Christ is used over 70 times in your New Testament. Over 70 times. It's a very significant phrase. And then there's other phrases uh, that we're going to talk about as well that are, that are very similar. So it's... It's quite a big big theme in the Bible that we all need to be aware of. So let's look at each of these, these four aspects in turn here. Number one, what does it mean to be in Christ? The phrase in Christ doesn't really have just one single sense, but it's, it's actually referring to a variety, a variety of relationships. So let's, let's think about several different relationships as we think about this phrase in Christ. Number one, the first relationship is referring to God's eternal plan. God had an eternal plan according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that God chose us in Christ. How long ago did he choose believers in Christ? Before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, and it was in Christ that Ephesians 1 goes on to say that we were destined and appointed to live for the praise of His glorious grace. That's why you were made. So it's not about us, then, is it? And since we did not exist before the creation of the world, then these verses from Ephesians 1 indicate that God looked into the future... And he, would, he, he obviously knew we would exist, because God knows everything, even stuff in the future. And when he did that, according to Ephesians 1, he thought of believers as being in a special relationship with Jesus Christ. A special relationship with Christ. So while choosing us... What is he doing? He's at the same time, he's, he's thinking of us as belonging to Christ in a special way. Therefore, he thought about us as eventually having the right to share then in the blessings of Christ's work. Christ's work brings blessing to believers. And so, there's this connection. God sees Christ, his work. He sees believers They would be saved, and and, and God makes this connection. So there's the relationship of of the eternity past, but uh, there's a second relationship we quickly need to talk about here, is that uh, what about when Christ was on the earth? Christ lived, died, he's gone to heaven now, but uh, what about Christ's life on earth? This is the second relationship we'll look at. Throughout Christ's life on this earth, earth god the father thought of us as being in christ and he and of course he saw that from eternity past before the creation of the world so, so what, what does this mean though in other words what i'm trying to say is that whatever christ did is our representative and he was god counted it as being something that that we did as well so christ was our representative Uh, He lived the perfect life that we should have lived, died the perfect death that you and I should have died but can't, rose again, conquered Satan, his works and death, and lives forevermore to intercede for us. So those are just some of the works that, that Christ did. He was our representative, which we couldn't do any of those things. And so what Christ did as a representative, then God the Father's, saw that, and what it means to be in Christ is, is, is God the Father's counting that as something that all believers did as well. For example, when Jesus obeyed God for his whole life, God thought of us as having obeyed him as well. That's significant, because we, we can't fully obey God, can we? That's, that's impossible. We, we sin. You see this concept of, uh, uh, of what we're talking about here, Romans chapter 5. You can look at, if you don't have your Bible, it's on the screen. But Romans 5, verse 19, the last part there, Romans five nineteen says, By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So you see, the obedience of Christ is, is counted to us. Why? Because Christ is your representative. He did what none of us can do, lived the perfect life. He obeyed God the Father. What's the point? You say, what is the point here? Well, Christ is our source of righteousness. We need to be declared righteous in order to get into heaven, because God's holy. And because we're not righteous and we're not holy, then we need to be declared righteous, and that's what God does in justification. So are you excited? <laughs> I hope you're excited about this truth. And, and, and you should be. But there's even more good news. Because God thought of us as being in Christ, he also could think of our sins as belonging to Christ. We see this concept in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which says, For our sake, he that's talking about God the Father, made him, Christ, To be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. How do we become the righteousness of God? Well, you need a representative. That's the only only way that you can do that. So these were sins that we had not committed, but God knew about them, of course, in advance. God knew every sin that you've already committed. He knew that in advance, and God still sent his son to pay the penalty for your sin. Just, just dwell upon that for a moment. That's an amazing concept. So, God knew about them in advance. He thought about them as belonging to Christ when Christ took your place. And so, because of that, it was obviously right that Christ should die for our sins. He's, he's perfect, He's your representative. 1 Peter 2, again, has a similar idea. In verse 24, it says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. It's the only way you can be healed. This is talking spiritually, by the way. You have spiritual wounds that that are without the ability to heal except for Christ to heal them. So it's not just our sins that God thought of as belonging to Christ. It was we ourselves. God looks at us as also belonging to Christ. So when Christ died, then God thought of us as having died with Christ. There's a special bond, there's a special relationship going on there. Now look what happened to our old sin nature. If you're a believer, something happened to your old sin nature. By the way, you're born with that sin nature, okay? Everyone is born with a sin nature. David even said, you know, in sin my mother conceived me. Every one of us are that way. But look what happened. If you're a believer, you've put your faith in Jesus Christ. Look what happens here in Romans 6. If you have your Bible, you can look there. Romans 6, verse 6. We know that our old self, that sin nature, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now some of you might be thinking, now wait a minute, I I still feel like I'm enslaved to sin. What's going on there, Romans 6? Romans 6 and 7 is talking about how, how because of Christ's work on the cross and His resurrection, you no longer have to obey the old nature. That old old self, that old sin nature. You don't have to obey it. You you can go and serve it if you want, but you don't have to. Whereas, before you became a believer, that's all you could do. It it was your boss, so to speak. You had to obey that boss. But after you become a believer, now you have a new boss, and his name's Jesus Christ. And he's the one whom you're supposed to serve. But sadly, we, for whatever reason, we... We, we kind of still go back and serve the old boss at times. But you don't have to. And by the way, I'll remind you, according to Romans 6, he pays terrible wages. Because Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. So don't, don't, don't go and serve the old boss. Serve the new one, Jesus Christ. Now, what happened to Christ after he died? Of course, he died. But what, what happened? Well, he was buried, of course. But guess what? We were also buried with Christ and raised with him, the Bible says, according to Ephesians 2.6. It says, God raised us up with him, that's Jesus, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does it mean for believers? What does that mean for believers? Well, when Christ returned to heaven in Acts chapter 1... All the blessings of salvation were earned for believers. It was done. All the blessings of salvation were earned for believers. And that's because of this relationship of being in Christ. Now, there's a third relationship going on with the concept of being in Christ. You say, okay, we've talked about the past, the future, but what about now? Is there anything going on now? In Christ. And and the answer is yes, there is. Once we have been born and exist as real people in our world, our union with Christ can no longer be something that's just in God's mind. It's not just something God was thinking about before the creation of the world. If you exist now, which you do, then there's an aspect where you are in Christ now. We also... Must be brought into an actual relationship with Jesus Christ. It wasn't just something God the Father was thinking about in the past, but something that needs to happen now. What does a believer's present life in Christ look like, though? What does that look like? The Bible talks about it. Well, it can be viewed from four slightly different perspectives, okay? We're going to talk about these four slightly different perspectives of what it What it looks like in our lives now to be in Christ. Number one, the first perspective is that believers have died and been raised with Christ. Believers have died and been raised with Christ. This is a blessing because the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has a real effect in our life now. It's not just something that's going to happen in the future. You have been, present tense, have been. You died when Christ died. You were raised when Christ was raised. Colossians 2.12 talks about this concept, this perspective. It says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead present tense having been buried with him so when christ was buried you were buried okay this is an ongoing thing and here paul's references to baptism and in faith indicate that our dying and rising with christ occur in this present life it's not a past thing it's not a future thing it's talking about your present life now it happens when you become a christian and and of course when you become a christian then there's there's ongoing effects and blessings isn't there because we died and we rose with christ then guess what we have power to overcome personal sin in our life whereas before i became a christian i did not Jesus Christ gives me the the power to conquer sin, because He conquered sin. Uh, You see this idea in Romans chapter 6. If you have your Bible there, you turn to Romans 6, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11, it says, "...so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions." Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present, but, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So You, you understand, my friend, you, you now, if you're a believer, you have the ability to overcome sin you you don't have to serve sin you don't have to serve the old self the old nature and by the way it's not legitimate to say satan made me do it either okay that's not legitimate satan can't make you do anything (laughs) he doesn't have that much power okay Uh, some people give satan way more power than he deserves i'm not saying he's weak but he's not that powerful he can't make you do a thing you can listen to him, which is a foolish thing to do, but he can't make you do anything if you're a believer. All right, well, let's look at the second perspective. Believers have new life in Christ. You've died with Christ. You've been buried with Christ. But there, there's, a, there's a new life in Christ. So so if, if you're a believer and you were baptized, probably, I, I'm, I'm guessing, the whoever baptized you as you were being baptized probably said the words something like this. As you were going, getting dunked under the water, he may have said, buried in the likeness of his death, and as you were coming up out of the water, the pastor probably said, raised to walk in newness of life. At least that's what my pastor said when I was baptized. That's what I say when I baptize people. Because baptism is a picture of what christ's work has accomplished in my life i was buried in the likeness of his death and i have been raised to walk in the the newness of christ's life so believers have a new life in christ we should not think only in terms of christ's past work of redemption here by the way but also in the terms of his present life in heaven christ has a continuing work going on in heaven And as a result of that, there's wonderful spiritual resources that we need to live the Christian life, and those are available to every believer. And since every spiritual blessing was earned by him, guess what? It also belongs to him. It's his. The Bible can say that these blessings are in Christ. And that means that these blessings are available. And by the way, they're only available... For you, if you are in Christ Jesus. And by in Christ Jesus, what the Bible is referring to is those who have put their faith, their belief, and their trust in Christ alone and in nothing else. That includes your good works. It has to only be Christ. If you've done that, the Bible says that you are in Christ. And by the way, you, you might be asking, well, what, what blessings are we talking about here? These blessings are available to those who are in Christ, but what blessings? Good question. You need to know this. (laughs) Is this important stuff? Well, here's one good one, all right? Uh, 1 John 5, verse 11 says, God gave us eternal life, and how does this life come? How does eternal life come? This life is in His Son. That's how it comes. Ephesians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So there's, there's more than just eternal life, according to Ephesians 1.3. There's every spiritual blessing. And if you don't know what those are, then it's, it, it's important that you go to God's Word and find out what every spiritual blessing is for you. You have a lot. Find out what it is. Well, there's, uh, let me just give you some, okay? Uh, you say, well, what are these spiritual blessings? Well, the Bible says we're in Christ, and if you, if you were to study that phrase, in Christ, you'd come up with some of these blessings. Let me just give you some examples of what it means to be in Christ. Uh, the Bible says that it's in Christ that we are called to salvation, that we are regenerated, that we are justified, that we die, You can die in Christ, or you can die without Christ, okay? You don't want to be there. And then the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that it's in Christ that we are raised up. That's where you want to be. My friend, when you die, you want to be in Christ so that you can be raised with Christ. So those are just some of the blessings, a quick look through a lexicon, a Bible lexicon would show you. Uh, there's a third perspective Third perspective we need to talk about as we think about what it means to be in Christ. Number three is that all actions can be done in Christ. All of your actions can be done in Christ. Philippians 4.13, for example, says, I can do h- how many things? All things through Christ. Jesus Christ who strengthens me. Okay? That, that's an all-encompassing verse. alright All actions, in other words, can be done in Christ. But, uh, then in 1 Corinthians 15 gives us another example of this. It says, In the Lord your labor is not in vain. So what you do for Jesus Christ as you serve him, the Bible says it's not in vain. It's not, it's not empty. It's not meaningless. It, it has purpose. And by the way, that means when you go to work tomorrow, you go and you serve your boss, or your company, or you work for yourself, or whatever you're doing, that can have purpose if you do it for God's glory. The Bible gives uh, expands upon this. Again, a quick lexicon search in, in a Bible lexicon would would mention some of these actions that can be done in Christ. Let me just give you a. A few that that I particularly enjoyed that I found uh, the Bible says it 's in the Lord that number one, children are to obey their parents right ephesians six one children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right uh, it 's in the Lord that wives are to submit to their husbands, so I know wives that's that 's a difficult thing for you because you have to submit to imperfect people like me, okay. <laughs> All right, you pray for my wife. I'll pray for you. I know that's difficult. God's given you a very difficult task to submit to an imperfect person. By the way, let me just say about that uh, offhand here that uh, you should submit to your husband unless your husband tells you to do something illegal, immoral, or unbiblical. But Let me just say, ladies, your, your husband has the right to be stupid. Okay? That's, that's the way it is. We have the right to be stupid, and we do many stupid things. We do dumb things, all right? But God has given you the unenviable task to submit to your husband unless it's unbiblical, immoral, or illegal. Anyway, husbands, you also have responsibility to love your wife as Christ loves the church. Now, that's a very difficult task, but that's your job. But that's another issue. Anyway, number three, all believers are to be strong in the Lord, according to Ephesians 6. Believers are to live a godly life, according to Second Timothy. And believers are to have good behavior in the Lord. Okay, So those are just some things a quick uh, lexicon search will show you. Number four, the fourth perspective, is that all Christians together are one body in Christ. That's all Christians together are one body in Christ. Christians are not simply in Christ as isolated, individual persons. I mean, there's too many Lone Ranger Christians out there. They, they, they think they, they can serve God and, and be a godly Christian and just, and just you know, be, be off by themselves doing their own thing. You can't. That's impossible. And since Christ is the head of the body, which of course is the church, all then who are in union with Christ are also related to one another in his body. That means that if you're a believer, you have brothers and sisters in Christ probably in every country of the world. Every race, every skin color. Okay, You have other brothers and sisters around the world. And we are one in Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that this joining together makes us one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And it's in this body of Christ, by the way, that the Bible says that all the hostilities disappear. You know, two, two warring parties can be reconciled. Sinful, to, sinful divisions can be healed, and, and those walls can be broken down, and worldly criteria of status can uh, no, no longer applies. I mean, think about it, uh, that, you know, rich and poor can come together because they're one body in Christ. And Galatians talks about this idea. You say, I mean, why is this? Well, here, look what Galatians 3 says. Galatians 3, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So it's not right to make divisions amongst Jews and the rest of us Gentiles and there shouldn't be a you know you know division between a slave and a free person. You know, it's not right to make the slaves not to come to church and you know only free people come to church or you know it's only males come to church or only females or you know no it's we're we're all one in Christ Jesus. There's no division there. Well so far we've seen what it means to be in Christ. That's what we've been talking about in this first point. What does it mean to be in Christ? There's many aspects of that and perspectives we've thought about well let's ask a second question here okay you know take those four main points that wayne gruden brings out let's talk about the second one what does it mean then to have christ in us what does it mean to have christ in us jesus spoke of a second kind of relationship here not only are we in christ but christ is in us the bible says in fact jesus talked about this in john 15 Verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So there's that, that, that double relationship, if you will. You're, you can be in Christ, but Christ said, I can be in you. So what does that mean for Christ to be in us? We're going to talk about that. Well, let me just ask this first of all. Why is this even important? Why is it important for Christ to be in us? Well, one reason is because we need power to live the Christian life now. Because look what Jesus said there in verse 5. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing of, of any value, that is. Look what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2, verse 20. He Something similar to what Jesus said. He, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul recognized uh, the, the concept of without Christ, he could do nothing. He needed to die so that Christ could live through him. Well, let's think about some application of this truth. Okay, I mean, that's, that's a beautiful truth, a wonderful truth. has great power, but I mean... You know where's the rubber meet the road here, so to speak? Well, this indwelling of Christ affects our response to those who are in need then. That's just one way we could apply this. Many people are in need. Uh, don't just think of people's physical needs or their health needs or emotional needs, but the, the most important need that, that people have is their spiritual need. Many people walk in spiritual darkness. So whatever we do to help a Christian as well, by the way, the Bible says we do to Jesus Christ himself. Did you know that? If you help a, another believer, you're actually ministering to Jesus Christ himself. That is how special the bond is between believers. Because Christ is in a believer. Okay, You see this? idea jesus said this in matthew 25 verse 40 he said the king will answer them truly i say to you as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers you did it to me so when you give money to a fellow believer you go and you help clean up the section of another fellow believer you you minister to them you send them an encouraging email or a note or um you go and visit another believer at the hospital or whatever you do to minister to another believer, Jesus says it's possible to be ministering to him as you do that. That's how strong this bond is between Christ and believers. Well, so far we've seen what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in us. Now let's think about a third aspect of union with Christ. The Bible talks about this idea of imitating Christ. Christ. So what does it mean to imitate Christ? What does it mean to imitate Christ? There's a couple of verses I'll, I'll share with you to kind of get the ball rolling here. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, the Apostle Paul said, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul was a leader. He's exhorting the other, other believers in the church at Corinth, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. So he's Paul was trying to imitate Christ. Some people have a hard time imitating Christ. So sometimes we need to look at godly believers to, to help us to know how to imitate Christ. So that's what Paul was doing there. In 1 John 2, 6 it says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The, the idea of walking there, by the way, is, is your, your lifestyle, your Or the old KJV uses the word conversation. Conversations talking about your whole your whole lifestyle, not just what you say. So, what do we see here in these verses? Well, union with Christ implies that we should imitate Christ. If you are in union with Christ, then the, the the obvious response and outcome of that special bond and that union then is is we imitate Jesus Christ. Our lives ought to reflect what his life was like and is. Why, you say? Well, we can bring him honor and glory in everything we do. Have you ever noticed how the Bible pictures the Christian life as one of striving to imitate Christ in all our actions? Not just some things. All of our actions. Let me just give you a few examples, okay? Notice the connection here in these verses. I've got three verses as three examples. I want you to notice the connection between our actions and, and how that's imitating Christ. All right. For example, Romans 15.7 says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So you're to, you're to be involved in other believers' lives, in other words, because Christ has been involved in your life make it as simple as i can Uh, another one is uh okay husbands here's your responsibility okay Uh, ephesians 5 25 husbands love your wives how as christ loved the church okay do you see the connection you have a responsibility god commands you men to love your wife and the connection is you love your wife as christ loves the church which is believers So we imitate Christ in all of our actions. Another one is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. Okay? You see the connection. You have an action to do here. Several actions, in fact. You are to do those as God in Christ forgave you, though. Now, notice... Our imitation of Christ should not be thought of as just a mere mimicking of Jesus' actions. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's it's more than that. Uh, I don't know if you've seen. You go to a Christian bookstore. Um, I've seen these things in Christian bookstores: uh, the the what would Jesus do? You know, bracelets and you know the list goes on, T-shirts and so forth. Um, it's more than that. Let me just put it that way. It's, it's more than that? I don't know. I don't even know if that's the right question to ask. What would Jesus do? For one thing, we, we have a lot of what Jesus already did. Why don't we ask, what did Jesus, what did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do? What did Jesus do? And then we're, we're to imitate him. Not just think theoretically. <laughs> what did he do? Well, he loved the church, so husbands are to love their wives. Okay? We're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, we're to forgive one another. Why? Because that's what, that's what Christ does. That's what God does. So our imitation of Christ, in other words, should not be thought of just a, a mere mimicking. Don't be, a, don't, don't be one of those mimes. The far deeper purpose is that in imitating him, you're accomplishing something. We're not just mimicking his actions. You're, we are becoming more and more like him as we imitate him. Okay? That's the goal. To become like Christ. In other words, what I'm trying to say is when we act like Christ, we become like Christ. Hopefully. That's the goal. We grow up to maturity in Christ as we're being changed into his likeness. And the final result is we shall become perfectly like Christ, the Bible says. You're not exactly like Him yet, but there is coming a day when you will be glorified and you will be like Him, the Bible says, because you're going to see Him as He is. The Bible says in Romans that that, uh, God predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's God's purpose for your life. And so the Bible says in, in 1 John that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is. So that, that's, the, that's the, the end product, if you will. But until then, strive to be like Christ. Christ will ultimately be fully glorified in us. However, in all of this, we, we should never lose our individual personality. Okay? Don't lose your personhood, if you will. Okay, you are an individual. Okay, don't don't think of yourself as some of these new age uh, beliefs and religions believe you're not you're not swallowed up into some some uh, you know nothingness. You're not swallowed up in some big universe of of nothingness. No, you're you are an individual. You have a soul that lives forever, and and you are made in God's image. You're not just a just you know thrown into a, a pot of soup. Okay? You are an individual. And so we become perfectly like Christ, but we do not become Christ. Okay? There's a difference. You are not Jesus Christ. Okay, I don't think I need to inform you of that, but just in case, you are not Christ. I'm not Christ. Far from it. We are not absorbed into Christ. The Bible says you are an individual and you will remain an individual for all eternity, by the way. For all eternity, you will remain an individual. And apparently, uh, you know, if if you go to heaven, you'll be able to see me and you'll know who I am. I I believe that's what's going to happen in eternity in heaven. We will know individuals. Well... Just as the Trinity remains distinct persons, we can become more and more like Christ, and, and we can still re- maintain that, that distinction, just as the Trinity does. okay? Yes, there's one God, but there's three distinct persons: God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're distinct. Okay? So we're, we're made in God's image. I believe that we have distinction now and we will have for all eternity. Well, look, look at, uh, you kind of get this concept in Ephesians chapter 4 here. Look at verse 15. It says, We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, notice there's there's parts, each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love okay Uh, the church is described as a body the church is described as a building all right church is described as a flock all right there's many various descriptions of the church okay Uh, buildings made of bricks right bodies made of different parts you you know you got head arm leg torso you know and, and, and many more parts of your body right okay it's not just one thing it's part of a whole, yes, but there's, there's distinct parts, and we can even talk about those parts. That's the idea here. If you're a believer, you're part of that whole body, the body of Christ, but you are a part, an individual. All right, I hope you understand that. Well, so far we've seen what it means to be in Christ. We've, we've looked at what it, what it means for Christ to be in us and for us to imitate Christ. Let's look at the last one here. The fourth aspect of union with Christ. What does it mean that believers are with Christ? What does it mean that believers are with Christ? Well, there's a couple aspects of this we'll look at, okay? Number one, to be with Christ means that we have personal fellowship with Christ. Christ is a person, you're a person, and you can have a relationship. It is possible. Look what Christ promised. Here's just a couple of Christ's promises. In Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, So, you see, you see, hopefully you'll see presence. you see, hopefully see a relationship there. Now, is Christ's human body here on earth now? No, of course not. His, his physical body is not here on earth now. We know, according to Acts chapter 1, he ascended to heaven. The disciples saw him go up into heaven. And the angels said so. The Bible says in the epistles that Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. Okay? We know he's there. His physical body's not here. He ascended, as he said he, he would. But these verses must then be speaking of his divine nature being present with us. Okay, if his physical body's not here with us, then what is Christ talking about? Well, his, I think he's talking about his divine nature being present with us. Yet it is still something that's very personal. It's a personal presence, and, and I think it's it's right that we can even talk about that presence. Do you feel it? I, I do. Okay, I don't, don't want to get all airy fairy on us now. Okay, I don't, you know, but uh, you can go you can go weird on this, like some people do. Don't, don't do that, but Christ is here. God's everywhere. All right? Let's, let's talk about this. By the way, who receives this presence? Okay, before we move on, we need to ask the question, who receives this presence of Christ? And the answer is Christians do. How do Christians receive this presence? Look at 1 Corinthians 1.9. You were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ. You were called. In other words, you were elected. You were chosen by God the Father to be in this fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that this fellowship can vary in intensity. Okay? As you go through your Christian life, you're going to find there's, there's moments, even, even, even sometimes seconds apart, where the intensity of your fellowship with Jesus Christ varies. You might feel like you're on a mountaintop, one day, and you might feel like you're in the, the valley of the shadow of death the next. Who knows? Um, it, it varies in intensity, right? Which is one reason why God calls us in Hebrews 10 to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because a coal off by itself goes cold. You need, you need to bring the coals together to keep them hot. So we should hope for a closer fellowship with Christ and pray for a deeper awareness of his presence. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You should long for that. Now, one way we can fellowship with Christ is in prayer. You, in case you were wondering how to do this, one of the ways you do it is through prayer. You can talk to God, Christ, Holy Spirit, you can, if you want to talk that way. You, you can do that through prayer. And then God, of course, talks to you through his word. Now, do you believe that he hears you? As you're talking to God and to Christ and the Holy Spirit, do you believe that they hear you? Well, hopefully you believe what the Bible says. The Bible says that they do. God says he does. Now, do you know that this fellowship brings us into fellowship with other Christians? Yes, it does. In fact, look what 1 John 1, 1.3 says. 1 John 1, 1.3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, let me just point out a few things here in 1 John 1, 1.3. Suggesting final aspect of union with Christ here. Okay? It's suggesting this final aspect of union with Christ that we'll talk about. So here it is. Okay, Not only can you have fellowship with Jesus Christ... But to be with Christ means we are in union with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's all throughout the New Testament. Let me just quickly throw out a few verses. A quick again, a quick lexicon search would we'll find some of these. Here's what the Bible says. That says we are in the Father. We are in the Holy Spirit. The Father is in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. We're like the Father, we're like the Holy Spirit. We have fellowship with the Father and we have fellowship with the Spirit. Okay? Just do a quick lexicon search. You'll find those. All right? So you find the relationship going on, not with Christ, but there's this, this special union with the Father himself and with the Holy Spirit. You find all three of those aspects in Scripture. Well, even though we have these wonderful relationships. It does not mean that there's no distinction, okay? The Bible, I think, is clear here that both now and for eternity, we relate to God the Father and, and we relate to him in his distinct role. What is his role? The, the Father's role is our heavenly excuse me, the Father's role is our heavenly Father. What, what does that mean to be a Heavenly Father? Well, you search the Scriptures for that, okay? Or listen to the sermon on the doctrine of the Trinity. But the, but also now and in eternity, you're going to relate to God the Son, Jesus Christ, in His specific roles. What are His roles? Well, He has roles such as Savior and Lord. And the Holy Spirit also has distinct roles. He is the one who empowers us. He's the one who applies all of the benefits of salvation to believers. And so now and for all eternity, the three persons of the Godhead will continue to be distinct, and we will relate to them in their distinct roles. You're an individual. They're distinct. You're distinct, and you're going to relate to one another. Okay? You know what? I I could never do it justice Okay? I could never talk about this enough and, and make it sound good enough to you, okay? I pray the Holy Spirit will, will will use Scripture to minister to you. And you'll have a desire to search the scriptures, maybe to, to want to expand upon this, to know more deeply and fully and more experientially. What does it mean to relate to Jesus Christ, to relate to God the Father, to relate to the Holy Spirit? I hope you want to know them. They're persons. They want to know to know you. Do you want to know them? My friend, let me exhort you. Let me encourage you. It is possible to know them. They are knowable to a certain extent. Yes, God is incomprehensible. But God has revealed himself in his creation. I exhort you, study his creation. Look around you. Read his story. This is His story. Read it. Study it. My friend, go to His Word. Every day. Morning and evening. Meditate upon His Word to know the One who knows you. My friend, it will make all the difference in your life. Okay? There's nothing better than knowing Him. Paul said in Philippians 3.10 that I may know Him. And this is coming from one who had seen Jesus Christ on the road to to Damascus who had studied under Christ apparently for 3 years and that wasn't good enough my friend here's here's someone who's tasted of Christ and he wants to have more and he has this insatiable desire do you are you like that have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good he is he's good he's great and he's always good and always great my friend Go to the Scriptures. Be in the Word every day. Ask God to incline your heart to His Word, to open your eyes to behold wonderful things from His Word so that you might know Him experientially. To have not only a relationship which comes through salvation, but to fellowship with Him every day of your life until that day when you, when you will be ultimately glorified and you will see Christ as He is. Oh, may God give us the heart for him, cause us to love him with all.